Most of you don't know the uh, guy who's speaking tonight. His name is Jeff Warner. He's a staff guy here at SCUM, has been on staff for uh, over a year now, and um, is primarily attached to the morning church. So if you've been to morning church, you've met Jeff. He is bringing uh, tonight's message, which is the last in the series on Philippians. So when he gets up here, I would appreciate if you gave him your undivided attention. I like him a lot. He's a Star Wars, Star Trek, and Lord of the Rings geek like I am, which is one of our points of contact. And so he wanted to show part of the Fellowship of the Rings. So if you would direct your attention to the screen. Friends of old, you've been summoned here to answer the threat. Pale light lingered. The voice was crying. The doom is near at hand. Isildur's bane is found. Isildur's bane. <laughs> Never before has any voice uttered the words of that tongue here in Imladris. Do not ask your pardon, Master Elrond. For the black speech of Mordor may yet be heard in every corner of the West. The ring is altogether evil. It is a gift. A gift to the foes of Mordor. Why not use this ring? Long has my father, the steward of Gondor, kept the forces of Mordor at bay. By the blood of our people are your lands kept safe. Give Gondor the weapon of the enemy. Let us use it against him. You cannot wield it. None of us can. The One Ring answers to Sauron alone. It has no other master. And what would a ranger know of this matter? This is no mere ranger. He is Aragorn, son of Arathorn. You owe him your allegiance. Aragorn, this is Isildur's heir, and heir to the throne of Gondor. Have a bad, Lewis. Gondor has no king. Gondor needs no king. Aragorn is right. We cannot use it. You have only one choice. The ring must be destroyed. And what are we waiting for? cannot be destroyed, Gimli, son of Gloin, by any craft that we here possess. The ring was made in the fires of Mount Doom, 
Only there can it be unmade. It must be taken deep into Mordor and cast back into the fiery chasm from whence it came. One of you must do this. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. And the great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. Have you heard nothing Lord Elrond has said? The ring must be destroyed. And I suppose you think you're the one to do it. And if we fail, what then? What happens when Sauron takes back what is his? I will be dead before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. So much No one trusts an elf. I will take the ring to Mordor. No. I do not know the way. I will help you bear this burden, Frodo Baggins, as long as it is yours to bear. By my life or death, I can protect you. I will. You have my sword. And you have my bow. And my axe. Carry the face of us all, little one. This is indeed the will of the council. Then Gondor will see it done. Here! Mr. Frodo's not going anywhere without me. No, indeed, it is hardly possible to separate you even when he is summoned to a secret council and you are not. Oi! We're coming too! We'll have to send us all tied up in a sack to stop us. Anyway, you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission, quest, thing. Well, that rules you out, Nick. Nine companions. So be it. You shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Where are we going? Hi. The Lord be with you. Pray with me quickly.
Christ be among us. Christ speak to us. Christ grant us the gift of repentance and unite us. Amen. This life was given to you for repentance. Do not waste it on vain pursuits. It's one of my favorite quotes from from one of the church fathers, Isaac of Syria. And that's going to come to bear on what we're talking about tonight. You remember when Lord of the Rings was cool? Like, okay, for, for geeks, it still is. But, but for everybody else, you know, there was a time where it wasn't really cool and you hadn't really heard of it. And that was about 12 years ago. About 12 years ago, the age of the Philippian church, the age of scum of the earth church. Um, although rings, the, the films hadn't really come out yet about 12 years ago. We were still, the hype hadn't even really started building yet. Uh, that's because nobody really cared about it except the, the hardcore ringers who had read all the books and who could tell you that half of the, the just because it showed up in the movie didn't mean that it came from the book, The Lord of the Rings. It came from all the other stuff that he wrote on napkins in a bar and you know journals and during class when his students were taking tests or whatever. Um, so 12 years ago, this was going on. Uh, 12 years ago, Scum of the Earth was beginning to form out of that primordialness that churches form out of when something isn't working and and the Lord needs to go a different direction or people need to go a different direction. So that was 12 years ago. And incidentally, which one of those are you? Are you an elf that kind of stands there and looks really good and performs beautifully when you have to? Or or maybe you're one of the, the bearded dudes that sit in the back and, and say nothing and you just kind of sit there and argue. Um, or if you're a dwarf and an axe solves everything. Um, or whatever. You know, what, what are you? And what do you think scum of the earth is? Scum of the earth had to be one of these people. What do you think that they would be? Um, we're going to get together. But what I would really like to do as I build and build and build these things that we're going to get to, is start off with a really big question. And this question is, if, for whatever reason, uh, it could be uh, persecution, it could be economic hardship, it could be all of the buildings fall down because of an earthquake, zombie apocalypse, I don't know. If there was one church left in Denver. Just one church left in Denver. It became the Church of Denver. And it was characterized by an expression that you hated. Theology that gave you the creeps. uh, Filled with practices that you just make you feel really silly. And it had all of that going on, and you didn't look like anybody, um, and you didn't feel like anybody, and you just you, you left worse than when you came. And, and this was the only church in town. Would you still go to it? Would you still go to it? Because the Lord commands us not to break fellowship with one another. Remain in fellowship. It's in Hebrews 13, I believe. Uh, uh, I challenge you to go look it up. Give it a, you know, give it a look. Um, 
would you stay in that church out of obedience to the Lord, out of, out of a, a vision that maybe you could do something for the kingdom of God, even though it wasn't clearly apparent at the time? Would you be obedient to the Lord if it was going to cost you something of your uniqueness and something of your own sense of expression or identity? That's the question. Uh, so I'm going to begin by telling you my part of that story, my part of that question. Uh, it was quite a bit longer than 12 years ago when this story begins. It's something like 1992. And I was stationed in Germany uh, in the army. And there were a bunch of us, quite a few of us, who uh, found each other. We were in the same unit. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with, with military structure, it, it breaks down from the, the great biggest block to smaller blocks and smaller blocks and smaller blocks. And when you get down to the lower level, you have like a, you have a battalion, which is made up of these little blocks of companies. And, and there were a bunch of us in the same battalion in different companies who all found each other um, through the military chapel, which we hated. I mean, it's really dry. It's like eating gluten-free bread with nothing on it. And... And we really didn't like it, and, and we went because we didn't know what else to do. And eventually, we didn't even do that. We would just gather together, and, and uh, there was one married couple and a bunch of us single dudes. And we would gather together in the couple's home, and we would fellowship that way. And we did that for a very long time because that's all that we knew to do. Uh, and it was beautiful. It was just fantastic time of our lives and people came and went and, and we had influence over various people and and it was fine and, but we didn't go to the chapel the base chapel and over two cities our unit moved from frankfurt to a place called darmstadt and even in this new surrounding we didn't go to the chapel we tried it and it was different from every week and we and we hated it all right bottom line so we didn't go we found various people from time to time who would host bible studies in their home and would take us ragtags in, but it never lasted very long. And finally, in the fall slash winter, 1992, um, a missionary from a group called, it was called something else then, but it's now called Cadence International, um, uh, came along to Darmstadt. And Darmstadt had this thing called a hospitality house where uh, American missionaries would come and provide discipleship and mentoring to soldiers, primarily, although they'd worked with the, with the Germans as well, or wherever they were at. And, uh, and so this guy took our little ragtag group in, slowly assimilated us one at a time, because by then we were pretty doggone happy with what we had, and slowly began, and I was the last one to go, and, uh, and he took me in, and I was just entranced by this guy who... Uh, moved his family over to a different country to be a father figure to people who needed it. And, uh, and he put a permanent dent in my Christian life. I was a very young Christian then, and I'm a not-so-young Christian now, and his shadow is still long over me. And uh, one of the things he said, uh, we were out to lunch one day, and I began to gripe about the, the chapel and said, this, it's really dry, it's really boring, it's so broad across the spectrum that I, I have no point of contact with it and, and blah, blah, blah. And he asked me this question. 
And I said, why do you go to the chapel? You're a, you're a missionary. We do all this cool stuff in your home. Why do you go to the chapel? And that's, and that's when he said, if there was just one church that you could go to, would you be obedient to the Lord and go to it? And he says, here over in where we're at in this non-English speaking country, you can go to a German church and sometimes you'd find one that would accommodate English speaking, but most times not. And he says, this is the situation that you're in. And this is the church. And he says, of course I'm going to go to it. I don't like it much either, but of course I'm going to go. Um, that question haunted me, looking at the, at the writing of the sermon. So welcome to the end of the book of Philippians. Uh, we are interrupting the summer rant series to bring you the end of the series we had already started. And uh, so I, I guess it can cross over because I'm going to do a little bit of ranting tonight. But except I've had three months to get all good and riled up about it. Um, so it's not like Philippians 2.14 or what happens when Mike calls you on Saturday afternoon and says, hey, guess what? Nice and riled up here. Uh, let me jump right into the text. Very, very short passage, a very short pericope, because that's the $5 word for that. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's it. If you've been following our series on Philippians, you have seen just this beautiful letter uh, written by Paul to the church in Philippi. A very, very tender, intimate letter uh, to people he would count as friends, to people who didn't need, you know, the hard stick of correction like, like another church and another couple of letters, you know, if you turn to the left a little bit in Philippians, um, didn't need a whole lot of guidance. This is a church that was doing what it was meant to be doing. And this is Paul offering encouragement on some things, support and persecution, uh, lots of things. But what we mainly see in this is unity, 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 unity. In humility, consider each other better than yourselves. Be at one within and without. Uh, and so Paul has, has done this in a, in a very short letter. And, and he ends his letter in a very peculiar way for Paul. Uh, typically, if you look through his other epistles, you'll see him end and begin letters with something to this effect. Always, always the grace of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And then he might tangent off into something like, um, if you see Tychius, tell him I said hi. If you see Gaius, tell him to bring my shoes back. Um, if you see Hephaestus, tell him to quit being a jerk. That kind of stuff. Always very specific names for specific purposes. He doesn't do that here. And it's remarkable. It's, it stands out that he doesn't do that here. This unusual greeting of the saints that, that Paul is doing, it's, it's often translated, greet all the saints. It's translated like he wrote something plural, but he didn't. Uh, the word that he's using there, saint, holy one, set apart one. Almost the connotation of something that's completely different. And he's using it in a, in a singular voice, having the effect of, if it were better translated, having the effect of, um, Jenna, Paul greets you. Will, Paul greets you. Craig, Paul greets you. Kathy, Paul greets you. 
and around the room, and so on and so forth. Greet each one of these holy, different saints individually from myself and all of the ones that are with me. So uh, implying that they know who is with him. And, and we, we know this, I think. We know he had Timothy with him. We know he had other people with him. He was in prison in Rome at this time. So the Philippian church would know some of the, the folks that were with him. And he's saying, all of those people that are with me are greeting you. Because of their love for each other, because of the unity within, within their own ranks, um, and it's quite possible that they knew who he was talking about. Um, now, something that's, that's peculiar that, that, that bears mentioning here is when he's calling them the saints and the holy ones. And I don't know how much, I don't remember how much we've talked about it during the, the, our time in Philippians, but I'll bring it up here. Is what exactly was remarkably different that, that these people were doing um, such to the point that they were called holy ones and different ones and really stood out from the culture that they were a part of. The Christians in this time, and this is a time the Roman persecution hadn't really, really got going yet, but they were eyed with suspicion. They were eyed with suspicion because they did crazy things like, you know, they would refuse to allow the poor dead to be thrown out of the city. And not just their own dead, but like the dead pagans that were thrown out to the city because they couldn't afford burial. The Christians would not stand for this. They wouldn't stand for a person who was created in the image of God to be thrown to the wolves and to be eaten. And so they would take these people and give them a burial. And this was weird. And this really freaked out the authorities and freaked out the citizenry of the Roman province and uh, to such a degree that the Roman governors were kind of shaking their heads and saying, what is to be done with these people? What's going on with them? It's like they have taken the holy, solemn vow that a Roman soldier would take to the emperor, um, the god emperor, as they entered into military service. It's like these Christians have taken that vow to not give in to the way that we live our lives in our culture. Um, these Christians, they were free. And they were free. In, the, in this culture, which, by the way, is quite a bit like our own religious environment, if you really start to look at it, um, you had this, this very complicated polytheism um, going on, uh, this weird mixture of, of Roman and Greek and Egyptian and Babylonian gods and all mashed in together. And, uh, and, and I don't know at this point is, is that anybody actually genuinely believed, you know, I'm going to the temple of Zeus and I'm going to the feast of Zeus. It, it kind of carries more of the connotation of um, we fear them, but we're not, you know, We'll, we'll do what, we, what our duty is to, to, to have to appease them, but we're, we don't really guide our lives by what would Zeus do? We don't have a WWZD or anything like that. Um, but, but one thing was for certain, if you came out and your chariot had lost a wheel and your donkey took off and, and whatever, you came out and you're having a really, really bad day, then... Uh, your first thought might be, which one of these gods did I make mad? 
and how do I fix this? And this is an insane thing because all of these different gods, I mean, you see in the book of Acts, not in Philippi, but you see the, the mentality of we have all of these gods and there's even gods that we haven't heard of. So we're going to build a temple to them just in case we piss them off. Um, and so you've got to go through all of that to figure out what God you made mad. How did you make them mad? What will appease them? And then how do you do that? And so Christianity comes along. The message, the gospel that Paul brings comes along and says, look, the God, the God of the universe um, in his son, Jesus your sins are forgiven. You don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to clamor for some God's attention. You don't have to try to appease some God who behaves just as badly as you do. Right? You don't have to do this. You are free. And it's, it's this kind of stuff that drove the behavior of the early church. And this is why they just refused to take part in this culture anymore. And, and strictly speaking, all the Roman government did all they asked of them, because they were a fairly tolerant government, obviously, with all the mixing of the religious cultures, all they were asking of the Christians is that you come in once a year, take a little pinch of incense, and say, Hail Caesar. Burn that in the temple and say, Caesar is God. And how easy would that be? You could just do that once a year, and they would leave you alone. And the Christians wouldn't do it. They just wouldn't do it. They were that together. You didn't know all of that was in verse 21, did you? Neither did I. I'd like to propose something here as we move forward, kind of keep building on what we're doing. I'd like to propose something that's not really explicit in the text, but I think it's there in the spirit, is that the individual believer um, or the individual's you know, the group of individuals never outweigh the fact that they are part of the body of Christ. Uh, individual churches are never, never more important than the fact that they are part of the body of Christ. The big, big body. The church with a big C. Verse 22, and this is where it gets complicated. Paul tells them that the saints, all the holy, the different ones, the ones who were doing all of these things that are just freaking out the Romans, um, the holy ones, the saints that are in Caesar's household, send their greetings. Within Caesar's family, within his own safe place and territory, there were starting to be these people who were hearing the gospel of the Lord and responding with their lives. Not just responding to the propositions of there's this obscure God out in Israel on the back corner of the territories uh, who sent his son to die and blah, blah, blah. And they're not saying, oh, yeah, that's cool. No, they were responding with their lives. Responding with this kind of, I can be free um, that we just talked about. This is going on in Caesar's household. And Paul says, those people in Caesar's family who are living the lives that you are living, also send their greetings. They are your equals. You know, receive them. And this might have been a little problematic for the Philippian church for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, because the Philippian church was likely aware of the tension 
that comes from, I'm proud and proudly a Roman citizen. I'm proud to be a part of this enormous thing. And yet I see now the way the faith that we follow is putting us at odds with the citizenry, with the people and our culture. Um, and then all of a sudden people who are right up in the head, the gigantic head of this culture, are, are living this way. I mean, this, this would be really kind of a weird idea. And also because there was, you know, likely some persecution beginning to break out at this time uh, because they were causing offense, because they just, they wouldn't do the Hail Caesar thing. Um, and so there, there's all of this going on. And so the Philippian church probably read that and thought, that's weird. It may have even been a little bit difficult for some if they had been, you know, personally oppressed by, by a Roman heel. Uh, uh, whatever, whatever the reason what you had was a group of believers in the highest, most privileged place you could be who were holy, different, literally fighting the same fight. Um, the Christians in Caesar's palace were the same as the Philippian church. And, uh, and I think Paul knew that the church would receive this, and so he doesn't name names. He just says this, expecting that the church would receive them. And we get down to verse 23, grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. The same way he started the letter and most of his other letters, grace. Uh, the grace that turned Paul from being the murderer of Christians for whatever his reasons were. And uh, the grace that turned the Philippian jailer from the guy who beat Paul into his brother in Christ. Um, the grace who turned all of these people, the grace that turned us, this be with your spirit. It is grace that transformed the Christian churches and continues to do the same. It's a very brief benediction for Paul's standard. And I would wage, I think rather safely, that it's because his readers got the point. He didn't have to belabor this. Um, we are able to endure persecution and we are able to have unity within and without because of the grace given to us by the Lord Jesus and I don't have any doubt, like I said, that the Philippian church did anything less than count the Roman Christians as their own. This life was given to you for repentance. Do not waste it on vain pursuits. So, to the Council of Elrond. Uh, and I actually did have a point for bringing that in. It wasn't just because I'm a geek. Um... The point I want to say, and this is where, remember, if you're a dwarf or an elf or a man or, or uh, the guy with the headband, layers upon layers leading up. See, the, the thing about Tolkien was, is, is, like I said, he didn't write a lot of books. You, you have the big three, the Lord of the Rings. You have the Hobbit, which came about 20 years before. But what you have from him are these vast vast tomes of notes and appendixes. Um, if you've ever read The Return of the King, the last half of the book is just an appendix. Um, you don't actually read the whole thing. Um, and the first hundred pages of that is just them walking home. So, um, so you have these tomes and tomes of notes about the evolution of language and who Bilbo's parents were and why it was important that he go on this trip and where did Gandalf come from? And where did 
all of these people come from? And why do the dwarves and the elves hate each other? There's a history for that. And all of that is, is, is buried, and you have to dig it out of his works, but it's there. And, uh, and so understanding that a little bit kind of opens up the reactions of, of what's going on there in, in that clip. There's something that must be done. It affects everybody. So how are we going to do it? And we're called together to, to be in unity about this thing. But we can't get past our own histories about what's going on with that. And, and so you see, like I said, there, there's some people who kind of sit in the back and we're going to see what everybody else does. And, and uh, we have somebody in, in the figure of Aragorn who is probably rightly entitled to stand up and be the leader and say, we're going to do this, except he doesn't want to do that yet. And you have people who are rejecting that saying, I don't care. You know, you're not going to be my leader. I'm not going to follow you. And, and uh, we have the people that are loyal to the leader. We have the people who are loyal to the dissidents. And we have the dwarf, bless you, the dwarf who's going to stand up and just hack at it because that's what dwarves do. And just, we're going to go, we're going to get this done. Yeah. Um, and so that some charge blindly, like Gimli, Gimli, without any guidance. Some sit down and do nothing until they've talked it out or argued it out. And all the while in the background, and I don't think any of the characters were interacting with this, but you hear that voice going in the background, that really creepy incantation going on. In the beginning, of course, Gandalf responded to it, but it crept back in and was just whipping everybody up into this big foaming frenzy. Um, then you had the, uh, the little childlike figure, Frodo, is the one who actually responded to what needed to be done and said, I'll do it. I can't do it alone, but I'll do it. And all the while, all the while, all the 2,000 plus years of Christian history, the Lord has maintained and has not retracted so far as I know, um, so far as any of us know, the statement, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John 13.35. And in fact, Scripture is replete with things like this in the writings of Paul and the Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. And I would challenge you to go look it up. It's there to be had. It's a good use of your time to do this. And ask yourselves, is this the case? Is this how the church is now? In the 21st century? And, and particularly in the, in the Western culture that is very accustomed to um, going off and doing your own thing. If, if something isn't working, you go off and you do it yourself. In our country alone, there, there are how many thousands now? Thousands of denominations and subcultures and niches and grooves and, and whatever else. And, and I'm not saying it's all bad. Please don't hear that. Within each one of these things, God has done incredible things. I mean, look at us. Look at this. Twelve years later, there's people that have found the Lord because of Scum of the Earth Church. People who have found a home who came from churches that were abusive. People who found the Lord because they just didn't feel safe anywhere else. God is pleased to use this. But I don't think that this is what he envisioned. Is this what Jesus was really talking about? Scum of the Earth. 
one of many churches. Uh, his love. Uh, churches all over Denver, all over the country. Very, very good churches, full of the people of God. But they are one of many, when the many should be one. So there's division in the church, and, and there's no doubt about it. We have contributed to it no more than any other church has contributed to it in pursuing, in pursuing our own expression, our own values, whatever it is. Um, this, this is the state of the church. This is where we're at. Now, I would like you to ask yourselves again, what would you be willing to do about it? If there was something you could do about it tonight, what would you be willing to do about it? To begin to start bringing unity back into the church of Jesus Christ. This life was given to you for repentance. Do not waste it on vain pursuits. By repentance, I'm not necessarily talking about running down front and weeping and wailing and ugly crying. Unless that's what you need to do. Uh, but repentance is just simply changing your mind about it and simply changing our minds that, you know, we are unique among these things. And we may be, we, you've heard Mike talk about it. We have access and the ability to bring people to the Lord that other churches simply don't, but we're just a part of the bigger thing. Um, we may be this fingertip out here. Uh, we may be this little toe down here where we may be the kneecap. Whatever it is, we're a part of something bigger. I can't speak this to anybody else. I mean, I'm not broadcast. Well, I guess I am via podcast. Uh, but for the time being, I'm speaking to those in this room. And those of you here in this room, we've got a chance to do something about that tonight. Um, as we prepare to go to the Lord's table... Tonight, and this this is a symbol of unity. Did you know that? Did you know that? And what and whatever distinctions there may be in coming to the Lord's table, and whatever whatever you believe about the bread or the wine or the grape juice, or I, I even knew a guy one time who who prayed over Fritos and Coca Cola because that's all he had at the time. Whatever it is about the particulars, the entire Christian church sees this as recognizing the body of the Lord. And this is what the apostle wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians, that whenever you take this, you proclaim the Lord's death as he comes. You're recognizing the body of the Lord. And so by coming to this tonight, we're recognizing that we're a part of something bigger than us. As you come to the table of the Lord tonight, uh, as you experience worship, as you come down front, if you need prayer, there will be people over in the prayer cave. And... Coming back up this way, if you look back over in the corner there, there's five little envelopes and, and some note cards out. What those are for are for you to write a little blessing to another church. These, these churches have been pre-selected, um, uh, but they're not labeled back there. And, uh, and that's done purposefully. Just write a blessing. Write a thank you. Write a, you've never met me, but I love you because you belong to Jesus. And thank you for doing your work. And we're going to send these out to 
some pretty unlikely candidates. And, and quite frankly, I don't know if we're going to hear back. Um, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is, and, and the remarkable thing about what we have at Scum of the Earth is we've done something different. Let's keep doing something different. And that doesn't necessarily mean doing the same thing always. But we'll keep doing something different. Then wouldn't it be cool if in another 12 years... They could say that, that this big movement that brought the body of Christ back together began here. You know, not for our sake, but it has to start somewhere. So you'll have that chance to do that. I have one last little bit. One last little bit, and then we're going to go to the Lord's table. This is a letter. This is an actual letter that I received um, after talking about this idea a few weeks ago. Dear Church, we are one in ministry for the kingdom of God and trying to be more Christ-like. Christ loved and ministered to those who are not cookie-cutter material, and I know that he is pleased that you have reached out to those who long to find love in Christ. If you ever are to need anything, don't hesitate to call. I am glad you have found the courage to break barriers and serve all the people of God's wonderful and wide kingdom. We will be always praying for you all, ecstatically willing to serve you and learn from you. The Minister of Young Adults at Trinity United Methodist Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've never met uh, the woman who wrote this letter to us. Uh, this came about because uh, a few weeks ago we had some, some folks in, some fellows in from Albuquerque, who um, he, uh, his name is Todd, is a Methodist minister who, who stepped away from this, stepped away from all the, the, the church culture and, and got his buddies together and formed a rock band and, and they travel around and uh, they go from city to city and they, they do a little advanced homework and they find out what churches, what churches are doing really cool things. And not just cool, like, hey, I want to do that, but like churches that kind of have a vision for something that isn't really being done before. And he came to morning church, Scum of the Earth Morning Church. He came. And these were great guys. They were fantastic. And uh, we sat and talked, and we shared. I shared this idea of where I wanted to take the sermon. And he's like, hey, can I help you with that? And out of this came this letter. So it can be done. It absolutely can be done. So, as you worship, as you take the Lord's body and blood tonight, um, ask yourself if you would like to be a part of that. You certainly don't have to, but you are certainly more than welcome to. We thank you, our Father, for the holy vine of David, your servant, which you have made known to us through Jesus Christ, your Son. To him be the glory forever. We thank you, Father, for the life and knowledge which you have made known to us through Jesus Christ, your Son. To him be the glory forever. And as this bread was broken, scattered over the hills, and when it had been brought back together and became one, 
so let your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. To you be the glory and the power and the honor forever and ever. Amen.